We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com BE. This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies EdTech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com BE. That's IXL.com slash B-E. Transformative Principle, episode 55 with Charles Fox. Welcome to Transformative Principle, the show where we learn every week from a leader who's making a difference, how to become better and improve our schools. I'm your host, Jethro Jones. You can find me on Twitter at Jethro Jones. You can find great resources and the show notes at transformativeprinciple.com. For the last two weeks, I've told you about the communication cards that are a new product on my website, jethrojones.com. Click on new products in the top right corner. And today I want to talk to you about how to present these communication cards to your staff because I'll be honest it's probably going to come across as a little bit weird to them they're not going to understand why you're actually telling people to tell you what the purpose of their their conversation with you is but it's very powerful the first thing to remember is that you have to be committed to open communication you have to let them know that they can tell you things and that you can tell them things and that we can communicate openly You also have to be willing to be told that you're doing something wrong or that you're not addressing their needs and then be okay with letting people know that you recognize that. Um, The third thing that we need to be aware of is we need to be sure we give them examples of what kinds of things they would use when they use the particular cards. And then we also need to tell them that it's okay for them to feel kind of uncomfortable at first because we typically don't talk like this. We typically don't tell people what we really want from a conversation. We leave so much up to people just assuming and interpreting and coming to their own conclusions. That's not healthy and it doesn't really help us out. Then we just need to let them know that we're going to be blunt about it and we're going to say this is what I really need because that's going to help us be better. We're not going to waste time trying to figure out what a person really needed, we're going to know because we're going to tell each other right away. So when you introduce it to your staff, you want to make sure that you 
let them know that you're going to try this out, that you're going to do something new, that it's just as scary for you as it is for them, but invite them to take the opportunity to try and do it with you. I know that as you do it, you're going to be able to communicate even better with each other than you ever have before. So go to jethrojones.com, click on new products in the top right, and then use the code transformative to get these for free before the price goes up at the end of this month. All right. So Charlie, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Um, why don't you start by talking about who you are, what you do, and uh, and give people a little background about yourself. Okay. My name is Charles Fox, and I am a parent of a child with special needs, and I have been practicing um, in the area of special education law for uh, approximately 20 years, and I also have a special education law blog, and my representation is on behalf of parents. I come to IEP meetings. I um, am involved with due process hearings and court proceedings um, involved with children's rights under IDA, 504, and occasionally under ADA. And like I said, I've been doing that for more than two decades now. Wow. Uh, how did you how did you decide that's the kind of law you wanted to go into? Kind of accidentally. Because I've been a practicing lawyer for 28, 29 years, and the first eight years or so, I was um, sort of doing a lot of different things. And then in 1992, my son was born. And in 94, 95, as he was entering, the, you know, turning three and getting ready to turn three, um, we were in somewhat of a disagreement as to what his placement and set of services should look like. So I began researching what his rights were and began representing some of his peers. And, and when he was four, unfortunately, we ended up in a due process hearing. And then again, when he was five, we ended up in another due process. Both cases settled at mediation, which I'm certainly a strong proponent of negotiation and mediation. And from there, representing um, a number of other students that were peers of his, as well as my son, things just sort of took off from there and, and really took off after I, you know, started the special education law blog in, I think it's been about seven or eight years now that that's been up online and it's really, you know, established my practice in the area of special education law. Mm-hmm. And and I've been reading. I found that blog just a a few months ago, and I've been reading it. And it it's great as a as an educator to have your perspective and to to see how the things that I'm doing as an administrator can can help or or hurt our children with special needs. Um, and what uh, not? I don't want to make this all about your son and and I want to keep that um as private as you want it to be but what kinds of things lead to a due process hearing I as an administrator have never been involved in one so what what kinds of things lead to that happening well I think I mean I'll just give you a very specific situation and I'll use my son as an example we sure. um after the second due process there was um my son was in preschool still 
and there was a fairly new administrator, special ed administrator, and he was supposed to have an aide in the class. And it was now late October, and they still were unable to hire an aide. And it, it, things became, and my wife was filling in in that role, and it was not a very happy experience for anyone. It wasn't really very appropriate mm -hmm. for her to be doing that. And the special ed administrator, frankly, wasn't working very hard at getting an aide. And so things got increasingly tense until, you know, we had a number of um, heated conversations, and then ultimately they got the aid. But after that, we went through about a seven-month period where there was pretty much silence between her and me. And at the end of which, around May of that year, I went to her and said, do you want to have a cup of coffee? And she said, sure. She wasn't sure if it was a trick question. And <laughs> I, went, I went and met her at her office, and I said to her, you know, you know, um, and I asked her a question. I said, do you want to get along with me? And she, she again, she thought it was a trick question. And I said, no, no, seriously, do you want to get along with me? And she finally said, yeah, sure, absolutely. I said, well, well here's the key. When I talk, you listen. And when you talk, I listen. And she's like, that's it? I said, yeah, that's it. Because what I find, and the, the generalization from that story is that when there is um, a lack of meaningful conversation where both sides stop to the ability to hear one another, I think that mm -hmm. is kind of the fast road towards due process. And moreover, I have a situation like this right now, and, and I don't think it's intentional, but it doesn't always have to be intentional, where we're trying to hammer out the notes from the last IEP meeting and the special ed administrator in that district, a uh, different district, keeps changing the wording, you know, and it's it's kind of undermining the trust that the parents have. And and the, the parents, one parent is a teacher and one parent is a social worker in a different district. They want nothing more than to work with and trust the district, and they, they feel like their trust is being misused. So mm -hmm. it really kind of comes down to basics of, you know, we honor each other's conversation. We may not always agree, but we have a respectful and bilateral conversation. And, and if I would add one more thing is that when either side comes to the table, their opinion needs to be grounded in more than just opinion. There has to be some data or fact or test score, or something that says, you know, I think my child needs this because I think my child needs this. Rather, I think my child needs this because, you know, I have experienced this anecdotally, or my PT, OT, speech therapist has, um, you know, done a series of observations. It, it can't just be because I said so on, on either mm -hmm. side. And, and, and when we have more fact-based conversations, I think that, you know, it it just is a much more fruitful time. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you talked about it being intentional um, and not intentional. How, in the, in the cases that you have worked with over the last 20 years, how much of it do you feel is, is an intentional lack of um, – lack of willingness to cooperate on the part of the parent 
and how much of that is a lack of willingness to cooperate on the part of the the district representative? Well, to be perfectly honest, I, I think the intent is often imputed to both sides, and, and mm-hmm. frequently I say to parents, I think that schools are way too busy to lay a plan and make a deliberate effort at not serving your child well. I think there mm-hmm. are other things at play, lack of thoughtfulness, lack of planning, um, lack of resources that, and, and, and frankly, I think, you know, because one, one job that I never want to have is special ed administrator because I, I say, you know, they have a finite pie. Pie is mm-hmm. big enough and everyone wants more pie than there is pie to go around. And, um, so, when I hear parents say, well, well they, they did that by design, I said, you know, honestly, I don't think they have the time to really think that up and come up with a, a deliberate motive. And on the other mm-hmm. side, as far as parents go, I think a lot of what drives where parents are coming from is emotion and fear. Mm-hmm. And, and at times it also can be not being privy to information that the school district is privy to. And, you know, the more that they are, you know, sort of shut out of the process, I I explained to the same administrator in my son's case, I said, the more you make this, like, an opaque black box that I cannot see into, the more I'm going to fill in the details for myself. And when I fill in the details for myself, I'm going to fill it in in a negative way. I'm going to assume that there's Mm -hmm. a reason that you're not telling me, and that reason is because you're fighting something. And then yeah. nine times out of ten, when when people become more transparent on both sides, it's like, wow, it wasn't nearly what I expected it to be at all. Yeah. Um, I've got a great strategy for that. Uh, I have a little card in my office called a, uh, I have a storyline. And that storyline is whenever something like what you just described happens, that I don't have all the information, so I'm filling in gaps with my own information. It's it's a safe thing to do for parents, for students, for teachers to come to me and say, I have a storyline, and this is what I'm thinking happened, and I need you to clarify if that's actually what's happening or not. And it's a, it's a way for people to to bring things up that are sensitive and that are highly emotionally charged and to approach it in a way that is not emotional, to be able to take all that out. And um, I've, I've done that with my teachers, with parents, with students, and every single time we do it, that storyline is wrong. Like you just said, you're filling it with your own thing and it's going to be negative. It's almost always where we go as humans, and, and it's typically wrong. And when we talk about it then, then we can say, oh, I get it, and it wasn't like that, and it needs to be clarified. And so being able to do that with parents, I agree, is very, very valuable. And I think that's wonderful that you're able to to tell your clients that that we are too busy to to plan to hurt their kids because that is that is absolutely and, the case. And 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 I think that your technique sounds fabulous. I mean, I think that a technique that sort of opens up the conversation in a way that allows people to, you know, speak their mind in a non-threatening way and sort of take a step back from, you know, the strong emotions on both sides. 
Because mm-hmm. what I also, what I also, you know, I mean, one thing, Jethro, that you and I have not talked about is that, you know, my um, my father was a, a teacher and assistant principal in Brooklyn, New York, mm-hmm. and so, you know, I say some people are preacher's kids, I'm a teacher's kid, and so, uh-huh. you know, that was many years ago that he was in education in the New York Department of Education, but um, I have some appreciation for, you know, why people go into education and and what it's like to work in the school system, even though I never have personally. And um, and I don't think that the majority of people go into education because they hate kids. I mean, if anything, right. it's just quite, quite, quite to the contrary. You know, they, they may not always do it right, and things may not always go as as desired, but I don't think that people are in education because um, they woke up, you know, one morning in college and said, you know, going to be a perfect career where I can like really do the maximum harm to um, a young mind. I, I think that's, mm-hmm. I think that's, that's, you know, that's, that's, you know, even saying it sounds ridiculous. And I think that in 99.9% of the cases, I think it is ridiculous. So I, I do like to take what I call a cultural view of what is going on in a particular school, you know, and I know one of your points of emphasis is on the, the leadership of the principal or others in the school. And that's certainly a page out of my, my book. I think that when teachers feel sufficiently supported, and and it doesn't always have to be money, though no one's ever going to argue against more money, but I think right. that okay. supported and secure and able to have a meaningful conversation internally and then in turn externally I think makes an enormous difference for everybody. Yeah, I I totally agree with you. Um, you talked about data a little bit ago. What are some of the the pieces of data that you, in working with your clients, find as acceptable? And what are some of the ones that you see as as unacceptable and things that don't don't sway the conversation either way? <laughs> Good question. I think, you know, I'm not wedded to one form of data, you know, so in other words, quantitative is good, anecdotal is good, you know, but specifically in the area of anecdotal data, that when it says things like on an IEP goal, um, the student is doing much better, Mm -hmm. you know. You know, I mean, if there's one word, you know, sort of one category is, you know, when things are incredibly vague, because, you know, A, it's not helpful, B, it feels like people are hiding something, and 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 I'm always sort of amazed when I come to meetings saying, you know, either the goal or the present level or the, you know, report out on the goal, and people will say, um, you know, Johnny's speech is better than it was last year. It's like, well... What does that mean? You got to give me more. I mean, and if you're unable mm-hmm. to give me more, that means that you probably are not collecting data, and so therefore you're, you know, kind of taking a, a view from thirty thousand feet. And I say it's like that. Me as a lawyer, um, you know, Charlie will be nicer, or Charlie is nicer now than he was a year ago. Well, a year ago. You know, maybe I did something horrendous, and you know, and this year I did something only mildly horrendous. 
you know, so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm improving. But but on the, either scenario, it, it wasn't terribly acceptable to do anything horrendous. And um, so anecdotal data that shows some real observational details that is not vague, um, quantitative data, and 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 on the on the subject of data, I could talk at great length, especially um, under the heading of behavioral data. Because mm-hmm. I've seen situations where the behavioral data is strictly limited to frequency data. And mm-hmm. um, so the, the child um, throws their body to the ground. And, and someone is sitting there with a clipboard and, like, from 9 to 9.10 and so on and so forth across the day recording. There were 248 episodes of the child throwing their body to the ground, which my I have a daughter who, who, when she was younger, used to put up her hand in my face and say, I already knew that. So to come back to me and tell me that, you know, the child did something, and I have had situations where they say, well, over the course of this week, the child did tantrum 248 times. And I said, well, all that confirms is that that was an operative behavior that we should be looking at. But beyond that, it doesn't tell us anything. And moreover, what it tells me is that you're collecting that level of frequency data and nothing more because you're not very happy with the child and at that level of behavior, you're looking to move him or her out of the school, which doesn't make the parents happy at all. And I will be, frankly, that blunt about it. And, you know, I've been doing this for more than 20 years, but I'm still not a professional educator and feel like on the behavioral front, the word that I like to use is is context. You know, what's the antecedent? Describe the behavior. What's the payoff or consequence? How intense? How frequent? And how long does it occur? You know, so those kinds of that kind of data collection says we actually have information that as a group that we can sit down, analyze, think about, and do something with, as opposed to simply saying. Wow, he did that a really a lot of times, and and that's terrible, you know. So we need to get him out of here, and um, so that's sort of my abbreviated version of the um, data discussion. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, and what what I what I like about what you said is that you you gave good examples of of bad um, anecdotal evidence and bad quantitative evidence and and that helps see what we should be focusing on. So go a little bit more into that what we should be focusing on and why we should be. So you talked about the behavioral data, intensity, length and frequency, counting all those things. Talk about why that's so important and why that means so much different than just because how many I, times because, that I, has because I I think when when we start to collect you know, more holistic data, you know, and with with good minds around the table and with a good desire around the table, we can um, we can we can actually do planning. We can actually, mm-hmm. you know, um, alter the environment, alter the stimulus, alter the task. I mean, I'll give you one example. I had a student um, in the western suburbs of Chicago who um, had severe graphomotor issues. He had a very difficult time. He 
was a young child, like five or six years old, and he had a real tough time using his hands. And the teacher, who was a nice lady, said somewhat innocently, well, where I see him having the most difficulty is around 10 o'clock in the morning. And I asked her, can you tell me, does something typically happen around 10 o'clock in the morning? Well, in my class, around 10 o'clock on most days, we break up into cutting, tasting, and gluing centers. And mm-hmm. and so the minute she will say, okay, we're going to go into cutting, tasting, and gluing, and, and I'm, that wasn't her exact words, but that's the approximation, um, the kid would have a tantrum. And the tantrum would last just as long as they were doing something that was very graphomotor intensive. And mm-hmm. I said, do you, do you think that maybe his difficulty with his hands and the activity that you're asking him to do has some correlation? And she actually was very receptive to it, and she's like, God, I can't believe it. She had never thought of it that way. And mm-hmm. I went to, I think, one subsequent meeting where they pre-cut, they came up with an adaptive glue stick, you know, they had sort of adaptive art supplies for him, and mm-hmm. the behavior went almost, if not to zero, it went almost to zero. And um, Wow. So, you know, it's that kind of contextual data, and, and I recognize that that's a fairly simple situation, but, you know, if you allow me, I, I have I have one more where um, the, district, the district brought in a, um, a very good certified behavior analyst, and this is a young man in junior high school, nonverbal, on the autism spectrum. And the parents had moved to the district um, kind of like, November, December of that particular year, mid-year. And ever since he moved to the district, he was having, the new district, he was having behaviors that he had not had at the old district. And so the analyst did um, a very good data analysis. And and I remember there was a series of bar graphs, and there was like five bar graphs, and four out of the five bar graphs were not correlated. They did not indicate um, that these were these categories were the issue. The one bar graph that was like stood head and shoulders above the rest was under the heading of relationships with peers. Mm-hmm. And the minute she said that, the speech therapist almost started crying. And this was the school speech therapist, and, she, and because like a light bulb had gone off for her, because for quite a number of months he was taking magnetic letters and spelling out names of other young men, like L-U-K-E, but there was no kid in his class named Luke or or other names like that. And, and what she realized was that she had made an assumption that because he was on the spectrum, that relationships were not very meaningful to him. What really was going on was that he was mourning over the loss of having daily contact with his old peers that were very meaningful to him and that by doing this analysis and and putting it in the context of a team meeting that mm-hmm. it became clear and and assumptions you know well if you're on the spectrum you don't care about relationships with other people i mean i, I personally find you know very difficult to accept and and sometimes downright offensive you know because yeah. We're human beings. We are inherently social beings. 
you know, from time, you know, down, I mean, even in, in primates, you know, our predecessors and, you know, where we've evolved from. I mean, it's, it's deep, deep in our DNA to be social and autism did not wipe away millions of years of, of sort of genetic code. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that was, that was a good example, I think. I mean, it was really a fabulous example of, of using good data analysis to come up with um, an answer that had plagued people for quite a while. Yeah, that's amazing. And that's that's one of those things that uh, really um, – what's the word I'm trying to use that, – that justifies and, and makes, makes a lot of sense as to why we should have our teachers and specialists at those IEP meetings and not uh, – not see them as as a hoop to jump through, but as a real um, time to to look at data and make decisions and make correlations that we wouldn't be able to make otherwise. Well, I, I, I completely agree. I think that team process I've come to really appreciate very much over the years mm-hmm. when it's done well. And, and I think, again, I think it's done well when there's an environment that's created by the administration that that it says, if I'm a teacher at the table and I say something, I'm not going to get reprimanded later for being honest and forthright in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And that's where I've seen to have the best conversations is where everyone feels like they can say what they really feel. Thank you so much for downloading and listening to this podcast. Please subscribe in iTunes or Stitcher, and please feel free to give us a rating on Stitcher Radio or on iTunes so that we can help spread the word about how much we're learning in this podcast. Thank you so much for listening. You can find me on Twitter at Jethro Jones. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE.